0: Welcome to another episode of Tall Hungry Girl Talks. Today we are talking about um, the possibilities of limitless transformations. (laughs) Um, I am interviewing Leslie Morgan Steiner. She is an author, consultant, and thought leader on women's leadership, work-life balance, inspirational parenting, overcoming adversity, and surviving violence against women. She recently completed her 4th nonfiction work, The Naked Truth, a memoir which she explores female aging and sexuality after motherhood um, and divorce. Her 2009 memoir about surviving domestic violence, Crazy Love, was a New York Times bestseller and subject of the first TED Talk by a domestic violence survivor, which now has nearly 6 million views on YouTube. I checked today. <laughs> Her corporate experience includes The Washington Post, Johnson & Johnson, Leo Burnett, and Seventeen Magazine. Follow her on Facebook or LinkedIn via Leslie Morgan Steiner or via at Leslie Books on Instagram and Twitter. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be here to talk
1: about transformation.
0: Yes, and I feel a little bit nervous. I didn't want to tell you this, um, you know, when we were talking before, I feel a little nervous because you you are a fellow writer um, and journalist. And so I feel, you know, you you are much superior to me, but I feel like I'm interviewing a peer. And so...
1: <laughs> well, it, you know, it's,
0: it's hard to talk about a lot of these things
1: anyway, so I totally understand. but. Yes. Um, I it is never my desire to make anybody nervous or intimidate them. So I think you're going to get over that really fast.
0: <laughs> well, that that means that you're a good guest. If I'm feeling nervous, so
1: <laughs> okay. Well, then thank you. Thank you okay. for the compliment. Yes. I'll take it.
0: Okay, okay. So we will dive right in to talk about your book, Crazy Love, um, because it really is the starting point of so much of your pain, but also. Um, is the genesis of so much of your growth. Can you tell me more about the book and what it's about?
1: Well, I think you put that really well. And I would never have understood at the time what a transformational experience it was going to be for me because it was excruciatingly painful. So what happened, a very long story, relatively short, is that I didn't date much in college for a variety of reasons. So when I graduated from college and I had my job at Seventeen Magazine and I was living in New York, I was really like on top of the world. Like I am gonna date anybody in New York who I want and men are so interesting and I'm gonna make up for lost time and I was lucky enough to have a roommate with the exact same philosophy and we had so much fun. And then one night when I wasn't looking for anybody, I met this great guy on the New York City subway and he was handsome and, Um, He had just graduated from an Ivy League school just like me. I had just graduated from Harvard. He worked at a big Wall Street investment bank. He seemed so great and he pursued me and we started dating and before I knew what had happened, I had fallen in love with him like falling off a cliff. He reminded me a lot of my father um, and he adored me and he was so funny and sweet and the smartest man I'd ever met and before I even knew what had happened next, I I had agreed to marry him and then I married him. So within like a a year and a half, I went from being like this woman who was gonna date all of New York City to a woman who had married her soulmate. And the story, the the fairy tale quick as abusive relationships always do very quickly devolved into a nightmare. He isolated me from my friends and family very cleverly and, and I had no idea it was happening. And he got me to quit my job at 17 and move to a tiny town in New England where I knew no one and I was financially dependent on him. And then he started, the first time he attacked me was five days before our wedding. And you know they never hit you on the first date. Um, there wouldn't be a second date if they did. He yeah. waited until I was completely in love and committed and, and vulnerable. And I married him anyway because I thought it was just a one-time thing. I thought he was nervous. Um, because of the wedding. You know, people always say that men get cold feet. And then he beat me twice more on our honeymoon, and my life became a complete horror show. When things were good between us, which they still were, it was still great. I was still with that man, that charming, wonderful, smart, funny man who I had fallen in love with but then completely unpredictably he would lose his mind over things that I, I had no control over and that I couldn't anticipate. Um, you know, if I made dinner that he didn't like, and I just want to stipulate, I'm a terrible cook. <laughs> and so I made dinner all the time that he didn't like. He would just, it was like I had, I was physically abusing him. Like yeah. he, he would throw it all over the place. He would act like a little kid.
0: Yeah.
1: And I learned along the way that he had been abused as a child, really horrifically abused and so that's what my life um, became and i was only 23 years old i was really in over my head and i was terrified as most victims are
0: mhm mhm so i think that that happens to women so often is that we we you know we make excuses for men and i think that too like i mean i understand that you know you broke the chain of, of violence because you got out of the the relationship um, But, you know, he, if he was abused as a child, he wasn't able to get out of that relationship and thus it continues. Um, You know, data suggests that domestic abuse right now is acting like an opportunistic infection flourishing in the conditions created by the coronavirus. So it is a major issue that's happening right now. Um, During your TED talk, you said that abuse thrives only in silence how did you break your silence and how did you, and, and do you have suggestions for other women on how to break their silence during, during the pandemic and in general?
1: Well, you're absolutely right that under quarantine, there has been a huge spike in, a, in abuse because quarantine is isolating in and of itself. You're trapped with your abuser and there's so much anxiety and financial insecurity and other problems. So it's a terrible thing, the only silver lining to being quarantined with an abuser is that I think it can break through your denial. Um, And so that is really the first thing that has to happen. Before you tell anybody that you are being abused and break the silence, you have to be honest with yourself about what's going on. So the first person you have to break the silence with is yourself. And then it's really important, incredibly important, to tell other people, at least one other person, but preferably more what's happening to you. And it has to be somebody who is going to believe you and who you trust, and somebody who is not going to try to take over your life and make you leave. Because you might not be ready to leave, you might not want to leave. And that's what stopped me from telling people for a long time. I wanted the abuse to stop, I wanted to go back to the fairy tale beginning of our relationship, but I didn't want to end the relationship. And I knew that if I told people, that I was being abused and having loaded guns held to my head on a regular basis, they would, they would call the police, they would put him in jail and they'd make me leave. So that kept me quiet for a long time. And my own denial was really powerful too. If you had asked me the morning after my ex first held a loaded gun to my head, if I was a battered wife, an abused wife, I would have looked you straight in the face and said no. I'm not, I'm a smart, independent, confident woman who's in love with a really troubled man. And I'm the only person on earth who understands him and can help him. and back the hell away because Mm -hmm. I got this. Yeah. Um, That was what my denial was. So I was very fortunate that I had two dear friends who somehow could sense what was happening. And they managed to break the silence for me. And on separate occasions, I was able to talk to both of them about what was happening and they didn't make me leave. They were very, very sympathetic towards my ex-husband. They knew he had been abused as a kid and that he was fundamentally a really good but incredibly troubled and dangerous person. And so by breaking the silence, what I did was I brought somebody into the inner circle. I brought two people in. So from then on, whenever I was being abused, I felt like I wasn't so alone, um, that they knew about it and that they were there if I needed them. And that's why it's so powerful to break the silence. It's The easiest and hardest thing that you can do if you're a victim and it doesn't mean that the abuse is going to end or that you're going to be saved it just means that you're going to be able to see a path to rescuing yourself and getting out and that's what it was in my case
0: yeah i think too it's like a an accountability partner too almost like i unfortunately in college dated a guy that was abusive and he hit me once and that was it, but I got a black eye from it and you know, he was not a good guy and I didn't realize until 10 years later that I was in an abusive relationship. Like that, I think that that's how much we kind of train our brains to, to be in denial about that. But I did tell one person, and that was someone that reminded me like Tahira, like, come on, we're calling the police. I didn't call the police, but it's that accountability partner. And I think that that's so important. like you said, to tell someone.
1: I also, one of my favorite sayings is that reality is your friend, no matter what the reality is. <laughs> yes. Um, that's it's a good thing. to face it. Yes. And we get so many messages from our society about what a good partner is, a, a, a woman, what a good wife is and a good mother and, a good friend. And a lot of that has to do with feeling sorry for men and helping them, helping them with their emotions and their anger and their careers and their parenting and everything else. We're, We're so encouraged to be helpers and nurturers. So I really fell for that. And also one of the other very big problems, and I'm so glad that you're delving into this subject on your podcast because it's such a huge problem, is the misconceptions about what abuse really looks and feels like. We have this idea in our society that abuse happens to poor women, preferably immigrants or people of a race that's not ours, um, who have too many children and who have no self-esteem. And that the men who hurt them are monsters. And that is not the reality. Every ethnic group, every education level, every religion, every neighborhood has abuse victims in it, abusers and and. Um, abuse victims. It's everywhere. One in three women will be abused in her lifetime. And so it's really, really common. And so when it was started to happen to me, I didn't know, I knew exactly none of that. And I didn't realize that that's what really abuse was. I didn't realize that abuse was being in love with somebody who you were trying to help, who was throwing food at you, you know, a couple times a week. And, um, you know, once he poured coffee grinds on my head while I was getting ready for a job interview, he, you know, it's like, there was no textbook that said, that's what abuse is, Yeah, you know? So I love to talk about this to say, that's what abuse is. Abuse is about power and control and gaslighting, trying to convince you that you're the problem when you know you're not. And that's why it's so important to tell your friends and family or a coworker or anybody about this, because they can hold up, reality to you and say, no, you know, Tihira. no, this is not or- normal. You didn't deserve a black eye. He's going to do it again. It's going to be worse. You have to leave now. That's, yes. what, that's why you need to break the silence.
0: Yeah. And two, breaking the silence, it, it breaks the dam of shame, right? So you can relieve that pressure.
1: It's so true. And I. there were so many things that were really powerful about the two friends who I confided in. One is seeing on their faces how scared they were for me. They were terrified that he was going to kill me, and it broke my denial, but then also that they loved me so much that they agreed to not tell anybody, and to just be there and kind of hold my hand during this very dark time, it made me feel so loved, and in my primary relationship, I wasn't feeling loved. I was feeling like I was the problem, and my self-esteem had crumbled, so it was really important to have that love. So if you have an abuse victim in your life, somebody who you think is being abused, Try to very gently confront them and just say, "I know something has changed and you're not yourself and I'm wondering what it is and I, I need you to know I love you and I think you're great and I'm always here for you. That's the main message that a victim needs to hear and it saved my life.-hmm
0: that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that you that you had two good friends to support you through that process. <laughs> and then
1: once I really broke the silence, once I left him, eventually, we went to business school together. Um, a very prestigious business school. And he, one of the nights of our, towards the end of our second year, when we were about to graduate, he beat me so badly that um, he was, it it was really clear, like he was seconds away from killing me. And so that's when I really broke the silence and I called the police for the first time and I asked for help. And that, that night when I got home from filing all of the restraining order paperwork, I called every member of my family and all of my friends. And said look I, I have not been telling you the truth um, and I need your help and then I had a, an army of people to help me yeah and I needed it I needed every one of those yeah um, because it really takes a village to end a relationship and to rebuild your life and to, to I needed them mostly to stop me from going back to
0: yes I accountability really him, yes right? yes because I think that people think that like Oh, if someone hits you, you're just going to automatically stop loving them and that's not the case. And I mean, I, I wish that that's how the brain worked because right. then people wouldn't stay, but it's like these two realities exist between this person that's treating you horrible, but then some days they don't. Some days there it's amazing and you're, you know, you're loving towards each other. And so there is, I mean, there, you know, sometimes those dualities do exist. That that and that is the pull that keeps people, I think, in relationships too. And it's know. not just
1: sometimes. I think it's all the time. You know, one yeah. of the very confusing things about abuse is that it's love and abuse wrapped together, and yes. it's very confusing. Yeah. Um. And that's why it takes people so long to leave. It t- it takes the average victim seven attempts to leave before he or she can actually leave. And it does happen to men too. Um. And they're just as trapped. And then. You know, we could spend another like six hours talking about (laughs) emotional abuse and how difficult that is because it's a lot harder to spot, but it's just a soul killing. And I was lucky in some ways that my ex-husband was so violent and so out of control that I was able to leave before he really destroyed my life, before I had kids with him. And I didn't know that it was a transformation at the time. I just knew that I was, you know, 27 years old and I was leaving my soulmate and I was in terribly in debt because of business school and because I had taken out so much debt in his name and I thought my life was over but it really actually was the beginning of my journey to being a much more confident woman with much more positive relationships and also professionally as a writer it gave me the best material that I ever had in my life and it took me about five years to even talk about the abusive relationship and to start writing It took me another ten years to actually write Crazy Love but then I did it, and then it was a New York Times bestseller, and I started getting asked right away to speak publicly about it, and, and then I did the TED Talk, and it turned into this incredible story of empowerment, female empowerment, and victimhood empowerment that has changed my life in ways that I never could have possibly fathomed ever when mm-hmm. I met that man on the subway and started to fall in love with him. Yeah, and he always said to me, one of the great things he said to me at the beginning is he said that he knew I was going to be a great writer one day. And you know what? He, he was right. And he <laughs> gave me the best material that a memoirist could ever have, even though I wouldn't wish it on anybody.
0: Yeah. 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 So after getting out of that relationship, um, you know, you, you wrote your book and then you got remarried, right? Yes, I did. Yes. I did.
1: <laughs> I remarried and I had three kids with a man who I also loved very much, who when I left my first marriage, I vowed I would never be in an abusive relationship again. I would, that, I, that if anybody hit me, no matter how much I love them, I would leave. And I have kept that vow, but I wish I could have added something more to that vow <laughs> to myself, which was <laughs> that I would never take any sort of neglect either because yeah. my second husband, was very self-centered um, and very neglectful and emotionally abusive in his own way, and I ended up having to leave. Well, not having to, I could have stayed in that relationship forever, um, but I wanted to leave it um, after 20 years because I wanted more, and I, I didn't want to have to hide my truth and a- accommodate. There were a lot of very small sacrifices that made me feel like I wasn't, I wasn't me. Um, I was like somebody who was auditioning to be a politician's wife and I just didn't want to do that. So I ended that relationship too. And we divorced after 20 years of marriage. Um, when I turned 49 and because I'm a writer, (laughs) I decided to write about it and I, I didn't want to write about divorce because divorce is ugly and boring.
0: Yeah. And, the, and half, the populate, boring. Yeah, half the married, married people go through it. So, yeah. And so
1: many wonderful people have written great books about divorce. So I couldn't yeah. write about that. Yeah. But I decided to write about how I found myself again after getting divorced. And one of the many, many unfortunate things about my marriage was that my ex-husband um, tried to convince me that I was sexually really unappealing and unattractive was one of the many ways that he tried to destroy my self-esteem. And so I realized after I got divorced that I I didn't know if I ever wanted another husband again, but I really still loved men. And that I wanted a lot of them in my life. And so I went (laughs) on crazy (laughs) odyssey. It was crazy to me at the time. It turns out now it wasn't crazy and lots and lots of women do this. We just don't tend to talk about it very much or, or write about it because it goes against the mythology of the good girl and the good woman. Mm-hmm. But I, I was open to having more men in my life. And I totally coincidentally, accidentally met this fantastic man in an airport. He was the most handsome man I'd ever flirted with. I'd forgotten how to flirt, but he taught me again really quickly. And also he was 20 years younger. And I didn't know that younger men liked older women. And I had spent my entire feminist career making fun of men who got divorced at 49 and dated younger women. (laughs) And now I understand why they do, because it was the best way to build up my self-esteem. And so we ended up getting to know each other and um, eventually doing something I'd never imagined doing, which was we met in a hotel for the express purpose of breaking my celibacy streak which was several years long at that point. Oh my goodness. I mean, this this man was like a God. (laughs) It was just, and he was like sent from heaven to restore my sexual confidence. And I remember when I took my, when he took my clothes off, I was so horrified because I'd had three kids and nothing looked like it had once. And he was so much younger and he was perfect. And he just, I remember him stopping and looking me at the face and saying, you know, stop it. I know what you're thinking. your body isn't perfect, but it's so beautiful and sexy. And as he ran his hands up and down all my curves and I was like, Oh my God, like who, who gets this? It was so amazing. So that's, that's the kind of thing that I wrote about. And I ended up having um, five lovers over the course of a year and they were all different and they all taught me something wonderful and amazing about myself. Some of them ended really badly
0: so but did you, did you plan this? No, like, I didn't plan, plan any this? of it. So how did you like, how did, what like triggered the journey? Was it just like Stella getting her groove back? Was it like that movie? Like, okay, I need to, I need to get like some love in my life. Like love, and love it, love I didn't know any
1: of it. I really okay. didn't know any of it. All I knew it was that I had thought I was never going to have sex again because the marriage had, had really turned me off it. And then when I started flirting with, with Dylan and eventually had sex with him you know, like 500 times in the hotel that (laughs) night. Um, I was like, you know what? I want this. I do want this. And it didn't, I didn't want it just with him because I didn't want to get too attached to him. And I I didn't want to be vulnerable that way. And I, I didn't want to marry anybody. And so I came up with the idea that if I had like five Dylans in my life at once, it would be great. And I confessed this crazy idea to the one person who I trusted who wouldn't be horrified by my sluttiness. And she said, ah, oh, you, 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 the five boyfriend plan, great, go get it. That's exactly what you need. <laughs> and so I went and I did it. And it was, it was just the most exhilarating thing I have ever done in my life to just say, to hell with all the rules that I yeah. followed. Where did those rules get me about yes. dating one man at a time and like being a good girl and a good wife? They got me into two horrible marriages. I'm going to treat men like a buffet and I'm going to take that one and that one and that one and that one. And that's what I did. And it's still somewhat I, what I do. Um, my journey has evolved because I, I now would like to be in a really healthy, long-term sort of quasi-committed relationship. Um, but I'm really grateful to all of those men who helped me. And I also, I'm grateful to myself that I said, you know what? You're worth it. You're worth taking a risk and going out there and um, defying so many social norms and as i said earlier what i have found since writing the naked truth is that so many women of all different ages do this and that it is i love it it's a glorious thing to
0: yes me. yes so like what was the main thing that you learned was it just like a sense of freedom or that like like screw screw the conventions of like womanhood you know like what what, what was the the biggest takeaway that you walked away with There are
1: so many, but I would say the biggest one that meant the most to me at the time was that I was a really attractive, desirable woman in many men's viewpoint and that I had a right to enjoy my sexuality and I had a right to be appreciated by men, that there was nothing contradictory in being a a feminist who loved men um, and wanted them to sort of heal me. Yeah. Um so that was the biggest thing that I learned that it was that the everything about our social structure is designed to favor men and disempower women. Even the fact that you're supposed to kind of sit there demurely and wait for men to come on to you and ask you for your number, that allows men to choose first. And so they have an advantage from the very beginning. And I found when I started choosing first and, you know, looking at a crowd of men in the airport or at a party or at the gym or whatever and saying, ah, that's the one I want. I'm going to go talk to that one and I'm going to ask that guy out. Yeah, It just transformed everything yeah. about me and everything yeah. about my life.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm still working up like the the I, I don't i don't even know if i want to say confidence the, the courage to do that because i see guys and i'm like oh i'm scared and i don't want to be too aggressive and it's like all of these programmed things go in my go in my head about oh no i shouldn't do that like they'll perceive me as this way or this is what we're supposed to do men should come to you so the so, society
1: is giving you that message but it's yeah. not men who are giving you that message because i tell you i i was and i am exactly the same way men love it when you do it. they absolutely love it. They have been working this gig hard since they were 13 years old and it's really hard. Yeah. And they love it when a confident woman makes it clear that she's interested. They are yeah. utterly delighted there's no downside to it. I have not had a single man say to me, "Oh, but you're sort of slutty or you're this or you're that, you know, I wouldn't want to marry you" or yeah. nothing like that. They all love it and they they get it that, yeah. that that the game is unfair and it's just as unfair to them. I mean, the whole mythology of Prince Charming is completely destructive to women, but also it's unfair to men because they don't want to be Prince Charming. They just want to be seen for who they are and appreciated yeah. for who they are. Yeah. So no, I would encourage
0: you. Yeah. And you
1: also, you're just, it breaks my heart, especially when a younger woman comes to me and says, you know, Oh, there are no men out there or, you know, like I had one recently who she had met a really great guy on the train and she had wanted so badly to ask for his number or give her him her card and she couldn't. And I remember saying to her, you know what? You are never going to see that man again. It's gone. You had an opportunity and it's gone Yeah. and that's heartbreaking and that's what should be your motivation. So the next time you see a great guy, trust your instincts and also remind yourself that if you don't go up to him right now, you're never gonna see him again, and it's yeah, so easy. No. All you say is like, you know, oh, it's really hot today, or you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, are you are you, you know, where are you from? Or like, the, it's what makes airports so easy. That is that you just say, do you live here or you do you live there? It's very. You want to make it really easy to chitty chat. Yeah, and then then it's really easy or easy to say, hey, you know, my name is Leslie. Here's my card. Um, yeah, you're ever in here again and I'd love to take you to coffee or I'd love to show you around. Like it's, it's actually so easy when you get over that societal hurdle and it's exhilarating and wonderful.
0: Yeah, I know it's funny because I literally can talk to any person in the world, like any, anybody, except for a guy that I think is attractive.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So that is a, that is, I want to tell you that is a patriarchal plot against you, I'm not kidding. Because our society wants men to have the power to go first. And it's just, it's wrong. It's destructive for everybody. So I would get angry at that voice in your head that says that. Okay. (laughs) um, And really try to go do it. And it's, I've done it so many times and I've had some hilarious failures. (laughs) Failure is part of it. But that's another thing I learned from the naked truth is that rejection is meaningless it means nothing it has nothing to do with you it's just that you're not his cup of tea or he's gay or he doesn't in my case he doesn't like older women or he doesn't yeah. like blondes it has nothing to do with you and you just move right on
0: yeah yeah no
1: i that's a good mindset that's why you have uh, to have five at least five so that you don't get <laughs> rejected by any of them it's like oh, okay well you know what i'll go call the other one
0: <laughs> like i'm not worried about you
1: <laughs> you shouldn't be at the beginning. Men have this figured out. Men play the field at the beginning. They
0: actually, you know what? And I would say that men, I think that oftentimes men end up taking a healthier approach to relationships because they, they're not taking it as seriously. They're actually enjoying it. Right. And yeah, I think that, yeah, yeah.
1: We have a, I, I sort of hate to say this as a feminist, but we have a lot to learn from men.
0: Yeah, no, we do. Yes, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, a lot of my girlfriends in D.C., they're like, Tahira, you need to date more than one person at once. And I'm just like, oh, I just, uh. and they're like, no, you, you need to.
1: <laughs> it, so. it is the answer to so many problems. Also, one of the things that, that I learned is that if you are just dating one man, especially if you are just sleeping with one man and it's un- an uncommitted relationship, you get overly attached to that man. It's a biological thing. We women are primed to get really attached to a man too early. Um, and if you're dating other guys, it's, it just, it, it makes it much easier to look at the one that you're with objectively and to see where. you remember what I said, reality is your friend. Yes. And we make up these really elaborate fantasies, especially when we like a guy um, you know, the, all the mythology, but he's the one and I'm going to marry him and you start planning the wedding. You know, you've been known for five minutes. That is really so destructive. And so it helps when you're dating a couple of different guys because then you start to realize that nobody's perfect. And um, it's just tremendously empowering and important.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we previously discussed the taboo of of being single in in our pre-interview conversations. And I feel it every day when people ask me, why are you single? And then they'll list all of, you know, all the, the, the perceived attributes that, you know, they think I have. Um, and, you know, it's really a mindset of like, how, like it, like my sister and I talk about it all the time it's like people don't ask guys that people aren't like oh why are you single but how can and women and men unravel this m- mindset and, and not internalize it because I feel like I'm often internalizing people asking me why are you single like what's wrong with you you'll be 38 in July like <laughs> What's happening?
1: Oh, God. What <laughs> a fun question to be asked because there are so many things that you could do with it. And first of all, let me just say, you are right. Men don't get asked that because it's a really personal and insulting question. And we wouldn't ask men that, but we feel comfortable saying that to women. Yeah. So inherent in the, that question is a lot of bias and condescension. So no wonder you're internalizing it and it makes you feel uncomfortable. The kind of things that you could say i think you should just like have like five stock responses and one of them is simply wow that's a really personal question why are you asking me that and put it back on them yeah um, another thing that that i say a lot is you know i'm just i am i'm really really selective you know um and i just sort of laugh about it yeah. Now, or you could say, you know what? I have five boyfriends and I just haven't chosen.
0: <laughs> That's a good, I like that one. <laughs>
1: and everybody will laugh. And the thing is, they won't think that you're serious. And then they will be like, no, 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 I'm really serious. Um, like, you could also no. be like, Hey, look, you know what? I'm actually looking, I'm looking, I'm looking for great guys. You got any set me up with them. Yeah. Um, you so know, there's yeah. so many ways to, to handle it. Um, that are funny and empowering.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. I love, I love that. Um. So your story is inspiring and one of transformation and growth. And I think that a lot of us during the coronavirus are being forced to deal, deal with this ourselves in a way that we haven't ever before. I know that for me, it's like every single issue that I've had with anyone in my life, I can't go out and go to a bar and have a drink and forget about it. Like, <laughs> or any issue that I've had with myself, it's like, oh, no. I'm seeing that mirror often. I am seeing my face and I am having to soul search and deal with a lot of stuff and you know thankfully I am dealing with it. But what's your advice for navigating through that journey and transformation because you have gone through, you know, two powerful transformations in your life.
1: I believe that 2020 it has is presenting us an incredible opportunity. Um, It's just like all transformation. It's not easy and it's not pleasant. I had this idea that transformation and like inner growth would feel exciting and wonderful and it doesn't. A lot of it feels like incredibly confusing and depressing and frustrating. But 2020 is going to turn out to be the year of perfect vision. Because we are being forced to see so much in ourselves and our relationships and what we want to work on and what we want our careers to be and how we want things to be different or how we want things to be the same. Who really matters in our life? What is our relationship with ourselves? So I think to see 2020 so far as a great opportunity is the first thing. And I think it's actually really wonderful just to see where the journey takes you and don't try to take charge of it and don't be really all type A about it but just be open to transformation. Um, Transformation is good and powerful. And I I think that the key to any transformation, first and foremost, is your relationship with yourself. And as we've talked a a couple of times about just being really honest with yourself and that takes great courage. Um, Alcohol does not help that. So it's actually really good that you're not going to bars right now because you're being forced to really look at yourself day after day after day. And I, I also think that some of the, the tools that have helped me a lot is to think about my own self-talk and to change my self-talk instead of, you know, why are you such a loser? You're single at this age. So-and-so this relationship failed. That one failed. I didn't talk to that one, you know, whatever it is and say, no, 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 I'm great. I'm so great. And I, I'm my own best friend, and I, it's so wonderful that I didn't marry that person or that I left that husband. Um, it's actually so great that so-and-so is not talking to me because I don't want that person in my life either. To just to be much more positive about it. And there is an endless amount of online self-help and great books and great things that you can turn to, other women that you can turn to, and just be very open to transformation and also intentional about it. And, oh, this is the last thing I'll say. This is one of my favorite things, and this is perfect for your podcast because I think this is what you do. Think of the people who have what you want, especially the women who have what you want, but maybe some men too. I always spend time thinking, who are the, 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 what, what are the marriages that I would like to be in? Um, so think about that. Who are the, the men or women who you really admire, not just admire, but like would like to trade places with them? and then go interview them and be like, hey, what, what have you done that's worked? Um, I do this all the time. I, t- I was sent on for work, I was on a cruise last year that happened to be all people who had been married for like 30 or 40 years. And I spent the entire cruise interviewing happily married couples who had chosen oh. essentially to quarantine together for two weeks on this cruise ship. And it was fascinating, they, they was, there's was so much to learn. So go after what you want and ask for help. And you know back to the idea of breaking the silence, break the silence with yourself and say, Hey, you know what? I'm not really happy about this part of my life. I'd like to change it. How are we going to do that?
0: Yeah. But wait, but wait, I have a question. What did the people on the cruise ship say? What were their secrets? So they were so <laughs>
1: interesting because they all were the same. They, they, they all had the same vibe. They were all so incredibly comfortable with each other. Yeah, It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and some of them had been married once, twice, three times before. Um, and they just, I think what they all said is, you know, when I met him or her, I just, I instantly felt really so comfortable and like I could talk to that the person. Um, so that comfort and communication is the, the core of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't get through. I mean, marriage is really hard. And especially if you throw in raising children or career struggles or quarantine, it's very, very difficult. So you've got to have somebody who you have great communication skills um, with, and that, that is very, very rare. So somebody who you're comfortable with and you have good communication skills with, but I will add that both of my husbands, I thought I had that at the beginning. I really did. So the other thing that is important is to take things really slowly because the problems will surface. I think that it usually takes about two years for significant problems to surface in a relationship so don't rush into anything. Even if you're dying to have kids, even if you know that this is right, try not to rush into it because it's very rare that one of those marriages, none of the people on the cruise ship got married after nine days or you know whatever yeah. you, you, hear. They, yeah. you hear. We hear too much about those stories. Yes. They do happen that sometimes you just know and it, it works out, but those people are just really lucky.
0: Yeah, no, they also, are. Also,
1: the, everybody who I talked to said they really wanted to be married. They wanted to, for it to work that they were really hard times and during the hard times they both were really committed to being married and so that's something to look for to ask yourself are you really committed to that and also to make sure you find somebody who's really committed to it too and yeah. all these things are very hard to suss out when you've got hormones going and yeah. you, know, you think the person is your soulmate and the fantasy yeah. and all that
0: and they're cute and have a six-pack <laughs>
1: exactly hey i think cute and six-pack really matters a lot but- yeah. Other things matter more.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So, just I just have like one or two more questions. So, to, just to touch on the the transformation part because I think it's so important because I feel like I am going through one in my life right now with with just the kind of love self and um, the the love the with someone else and then also like self love and one of the things that I'm learning is that. It, And I think that most people know this, but to reiterate it, it is not roses and sunshine and crystals and moonbeams and all of this. It is freaking painful because you have to kind of dive back in and be like, wow, there are some major areas that I have to fix. Like I met with, um, I I see a psychic and (laughs) I talked to her last night. And that was one of the things, she's kind of a spiritual advisor to me as well. And that was one of the things she was like, you aren't really ready for a relationship. And and so she was like, you want it, but you don't want to be vulnerable. And so it really kind of cracked me open to look at things in a different way. And I think that that can be so painful. And so I think it's important for people when they're trying to transform to be open to that pain because there is light on the other side. Were you, I guess, were you scared to, for this transformation or did oh you like-
1: Oh my God, yes. I mean, that's- <laughs> Both time, I mean, the scariest things that I have ever done in my life, on an emotional level, and also on a very practical level too, was to end both of my marriages. Yeah, it took a lot of courage, um, and it was—it wasn't just painful; it was like diving into the muck. Yeah, um, and I had also I had no idea what the future held, um, and that's a really hard part about transformation too—is that you're giving up something safe that maybe has worked for you in the past or somewhat worked it's very scary we you know we human beings we're very risk adverse fundamentally and we're scared of this kind of change and it does feel awful at first um i think it actually feels awful until long afterwards and you're like oh wow that really worked thank yes. like, god i did that um yeah i also i love your story about the psychic cracking you open because we need other humans to help us on this journey right and if you I don't care if it's a psychic, a therapist, your best friend, um, a podcast, a self-help tape. It doesn't matter. Whoever it is who you feel like is telling you the truth and is helping you crack open, go for that. Dive into it um, and and let them help you. Um, I I have so many of those angel advisors and they come in, in the most unexpected forms and ways. Um, and I say go for it Um, you and just try so hard to trust but it's like I often think about it it's like walking across the Grand Canyon on like a a wire and you're like I got to keep my balance and I don't know what's coming next and and you just got to like keep on going yeah and and trust that it's going to if it feels good and right it is going to be okay
0: yeah just a little bumpy on the way it's so bumpy and it, you know,
1: you cry a lot and you're scared and you're yes. frustrated and it's, you know, half of the days you think you're an idiot for making yeah. these changes. Um, one of my favorite sayings is leap and the net will appear. Um, but it's so hard to do that, to like leap into the abyss and just trust that a net is going to appear, but it, it, it always does.
0: Yeah. Yes. Well, that is a perfect note to end on.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on. This is yes. just such,
0: a, such a pleasure.
1: I, yes. I love being a woman and I love talking to other women about what the experience of being female today. It's, we're yes. very strong and passionate and complicated and um, it's a great journey. And that's what yes. life is about.
0: Yes, and and you know a big thanks to to Dick Simon who I interviewed for my podcast about psychedelics because he introduced us. So,
1: and Dick Simon is one of those angels who I met. It's really funny. I was going um, on a like a a retreat um, that was quasi work related, and on the way to the retreat, I I asked the universe to introduce me to a great man, and I forgot to add that I wanted him to not be married. <laughs> So, I met Dick Simon like the first moment I was there, and he's changed my life, and um he's really happily married and not to me yeah. um, to a wonderful woman who's also changed my life so you know you just you just never know, and I, I grabbed <laughs> yeah, he's on.
0: This- specific when you're making your request to the universe exactly you have to be very bossy with the universe (laughs) yes yes, you do yes well thank you so much thank you so
1: much this is a great pleasure and good luck with everything and let's keep in touch and i look forward to hearing how this all turns out
0: yes thank you okay thanks thanks for joining another episode of tall hungry girl talks you can find me on apple podcasts spotify um, and my website tallhungrygirl.com and again you can um, follow uh, leslie on facebook or her linkedin account via leslie morgan steiner or via at leslie books on instagram and twitter thanks again everyone